Well, what, welcome to race day. Now, see, you guys don't really have any appreciation for this, but I am from Indianapolis, Indiana. In fact, I was back in Indiana this last week to work on some properties that I had. And um, it's race weekend, Memorial Day weekend. We had started a church on the west side of Indianapolis uh, 30 years ago, and it was a little bit too close to the racetrack. And when you have 400,000 people showing up for a race, you pretty much have to shut the church down because of all the traffic and other kinds of things. So I've been here now 10 years in uh, Southern California, but there's something about race day. So it's race day. And most of you don't care about race day, right? So, so right now there are 33 drivers. Well, probably some of them are already wrecked or their cars broke down. 33 drivers driving around a two-and-a-half-mile oval for 200 times to prove uh, themselves. And so you can make sure that that's a safe kind of uh, race thing. <laughs> I mentioned that because I appreciated what Angela said up front about Memorial Day weekend. Because I was not raised in a military environment. Like we're blessed with here in Southern California in this particular part. To be able to get to know some of you who have uh, been veterans and served in um, the armed forces, and there's bases, significant bases, just not Camp Pendleton. I mean, they told me Camp Pendleton was like, it's almost the size of Rhode Island. But I've become more endeared to an understanding of people who do sacrifice and lay down their lives for the sake of freedom. And so it's no longer race day to me. It truly is a Memorial Day weekend. Yes, to be with family but to remember people who have given their lives for freedom. And today in this series that we're in in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter is going to again articulate the one who laid down his life for all of us, for not our freedom as it relates to a nationality, but for our freedom as it relates to our interior life and the hope for our future. Jesus Christ laid down his life so that our sins could be forgiven, so we'd break the power of the penalty of sin, but he laid down his life to break the power of sin over our life. And some of you walked in here today needing freedom. Freedom from sin, the guilt of sin, and some of you walk in here today, you need freedom from the entanglements of sin, the power of sin that's over your life. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, it's only appropriate in one sense that the passages that we're going to be giving some reference to here this morning are passages that reflect on one, the one, the Holy One, God Himself, who laid down His life for us, for our freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, the Apostle Paul said. Stand firm then and do not become burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that freedom is something we have to offer many people who are caught in the entanglements of sin. Some of them you're going to be hanging with maybe even today or tomorrow. So I want to pray as we unpack a couple challenging passages. Well, we're really only going to unpack one. I'm going to mention the other one because... I don't want to necessarily skip over it, but I want God to just encourage us today as we seek to live to be followers of him. And if we are not a follower of Jesus Christ and we're seeking out God and his place in our life, 
that we would find ourselves opening our heart to at least hear from him and what he has for us. Jesus, in these moments, through your spirit who dwells with us, where you say two or three are gathered, you are in our midst. We know that you are here. May your spirit have sway through your word to encourage us in this Memorial Day weekend and remind us of the sacrifice not only that you gave, but the sacrifice you call us to make in light of modeling our lives in the manner in which you live. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, if uh, you have been with us in this series called Unshakable, it's, we're walking through a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to some Christians in Asia Minor or Turkey area uh, during his day in the first century, and these early Christians were being persecuted a lot. <laughs> and so this letter's been a very powerful discipleship tool for us as Christians, and if you're not a follower of Christ, it's good to know this is what it would mean to be a disciple of Jesus. But I specifically uh, made mention in this uh, like banner slide, unshakable, hope and uncertain times, that it is studies in 1 Peter. Because if we were exegetically walking through every single verse and parsing it out, we would probably spend more multiple months. But I figured if I say studies in 1 Peter, then I can just sort of pick and choose. But we are headed towards the end of this letter, and we'll finish up by the end of June. And there's a section of scripture that I want to skip over today and move on to the one that I want to speak on. But then I realized probably all pastors end up doing that because it was just too sticky of a problem. So I'm going to address a little bit of a passage, and we're not really going to bear down there. But I want you to know that I know that I'm not trying to skip it. And as we're moving through, though it studies in 1 Peter, we are covering the whole book of 1 Peter. So if you'd open with me to 1 Peter um, chapter 3, there is a section that comes off of what we talked about last uh, time we were together, and I mentioned last time we were together that uh, we uh, need to not have fear as Christians. Uh, Peter would say, do not be frightened, do not be fearful, but in your heart set apart, revere God as Lord. And so with all the fear that can go on in our life, our primary need is to set Jesus Christ as Lord because he is sovereign over our birth, he is sovereign over our life, and he is sovereign over our death. But then he stops, uh, drops in to this passage that if any of you want to choose to speak on it in your uh, life groups or Bible studies, I'm sure that I would like to listen in to see how you unpack it. So this is what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That would be true. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Talking about the suffering, as we were just sharing, he laid down his life for our freedom. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So this is the part that's tricky that a lot of people go, I don't think I really just want to deal with that passage. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. 
It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers and submission to him. Now, that's quite a passage. What does all that mean? But this passage has been used to craft a belief that when Jesus died on the cross, he went into hell for three days. And he preached, if you will, to those who were imprisoned, the spirits in Hades. How many of you ever heard that before? What did God, what happened to, this passage, I'm just going to say this up front because we're going to move on, does not teach that. Okay? Jesus looked at the thief on the cross who acknowledged him as Lord, and he said, today you will be with me in where? Paradise. Jesus did not go to hell, but this is a strange passage, but it's not supported anywhere else in Scripture. And basically, what Peter is trying to give is an analogy, and for whatever reason, it was an okay thing. He picked an illustration from Noah, and Noah built the ark. It took him a hundred years to build the ark, right? Because the evil of that world, and God said, done with it, I'm going to flood the world. You take your family, you put them in the ark, you take two of every kind, you place those animals in the ark, and I'm going to save the world. And we know it today as it's been saved through the flood. And the rainbow came uh, from the flood, and the rainbow belongs to us Christians, just FYI. So there's this need for us to look at this passage and see it as an illustrative matter concerning what he is saying contextually in this part of Peter. And what he's saying is that we suffer as Christ suffers when we are proclaimers of him to those who are resistant. And so I won't unpack it all, but basically it's just saying this. Noah proclaimed judgment. He was mocked for building the boat, but it was Christ in Noah who was preaching to those who were imprisoned. Take that context, look back through that passage. But even in the Apostles' Creed, it says that he ascended to Hades, but the Hades isn't to hell. It was he was buried in the grave, and then he was made to life again. Now, if you're confused, don't feel bad. I just wanted to make sure that you knew I wasn't jumping over that passage because it was too tough. I think there's a lot to be understood by taking things into context, taking it with other scriptures. But Jesus did not go into hell. Now, he did in one sense with his work on the cross, the death and the resurrection, go into hell like a SWAT team and say, Satan, you're done. But he didn't physically go into hell and say, no, 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 I rose, I'm going to rise from the dead. No, he's like, or preach to people who got a second chance after they die. The Bible says it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There's no purgatory. That came up through some other kinds of ranks. There's no second chance. This life is our chance to choose or not choose to follow the one who created and loved us. Because eternity, what heaven is about, is being in a place that is sinless, 
in God's purposes forever. And so he cannot allow, all right, disobedience, double-mindedness into his, his heaven. But it's through Christ living in us that he sees perfection. And we need to invite Christ within us. And this is the life that we get to make a choice. Am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for others? Am I going to live for success or fame or self-centeredness? Or am I going to live for Jesus Christ? And Peter is adamant to these people who were in persecuted areas for their faith in the early years to stand true, to stand strong, to don't get weak need in the midst of opposition and live your life in such a manner that it's a testimony and a witness to those who are resistant to Jesus. So, that's 1 Peter 3, 17 through 22. But today I want to talk about three clocks ticking from 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11 that follows on the heels of it. And with that, I want you, if you don't have your scriptures, to try to find it on your electronic device. We'll put them up here. I'm making it simple today, not any real points. There are three points. There are three clocks that are ticking that I want to give reference to. But this is a call to urgency for us on this Memorial Day weekend. There's urgency in the matter. I would have never known last week when I stood up here and I gave reference to the shooting in Buffalo, in the store, to the shooting in the church over in Orange County, that on Tuesday, we would have the massacre kind of thing that happened in an elementary school. And another shooting, and another shooting. And our culture right now is asking this question, what's going on, what can we do? And there is a lot of bantering. But friends, we have an urgency to define the problem. And the define the problem is that there is an evil in the world. And the evil begins really in all of our hearts because we are sinful, fallen people. And if we do not give our allegiance to pursue God, and we may say, well, I'm not going to follow evil in that kind of manner. No, you won't. But I'm a human being. And I know what, day in and day out, if I don't put Jesus Christ as Lord and pursue God, then I end up starting to pursue myself. And if I start pursuing myself, I'm going to pursue my own self-interest or my family's interest, other kinds of things. And my mind's going to get confused and I'm going to get off base and I'm going to go a direction that ultimately will be noticeable kind of evil. Destroying of a life. You see it all around you, not only on the news. You see it with your friends. You see it with your family members. We are living in challenging days, and there is a sense of urgency that we need to have as believers in Christ and also if you're a seeker in Christ. These are not days to be messing around. And that's the message of Peter in this section as we jump into it. And so he says this in another very difficult passage to quite unpack he says first peter 4 1 therefore since christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin this is the second tough passage what does that mean he who suffers in the body is done with sin does that mean if i break my leg or 
and I recover, I have cancer, and I recover from that, that I no longer sin? Well, that doesn't seem right. Is this given reference to Jesus Christ because he suffered in the body on the cross and then he is done with sin, but he was sinless. So how can he sort of be done with sin? What Peter's giving reference to here is this sense that when you choose to suffer for Christ by being not an ugly Christian, but a bold Christian, declaring your allegiance to Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, you will have suffering. We talked about it last week. Fear causes us to shrink back, to withdraw. But he's saying, I want you to reckon with this fact. If you're going to live your life in such a way, Christ in you, to be a bold witness by how you live, by how you speak, there is going to be suffering. Jesus suffered in the body because he was true to the Father's will. And throughout history, people have suffered if they've taken a stand for Jesus Christ. And he says, so our, he says, you have suffered in the body. So the suffering is giving reference in one sense to this aspect of being a bold witness or standing true to Jesus Christ. You are going to have suffering. In fact, I was thinking about it this week as... I was working with uh, some people who had, had interacted on this uh, subject, and um, they said something, and I thought, I don't know if that's true, but like, the more I think about it, I think it might be true, so I'll put it to you. What is the mark that defines if you are really, truly a Christian? Is it when you uh, give some type of uh, prayer moment to invite Christ into your life? Does that say, hey, I'm a Christian now? What about when you're baptized? Is that, well, that's a good mark. You're doing public baptism, right? And then you really know that you know you're a Christian. But could it be this, that the first time you really know that you know that you're a Christian is when you take a stance for Christ and there's consequences that cause you to suffer. You're choosing to live in obedience to Christ and the decision you're making is causing you to maybe lose money, to maybe lose some friendship. But you know that you know that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to stand in obedience to this. And it's in that moment when you make a stand in your faith that has consequences to it sometimes, that brings suffering into your life, that you have this adamant type of assurance that you're a follower of his. And so Peter's just exhorting them. Sense of urgency in our world. Look at what's going on. I know it's bad around you, but continue to take your stand for Jesus Christ and how you live and how you articulate it and communicate it. So the suffering in the body is the stance. The attitude is the attitude to be prepared for suffering because we know Christ suffered and so have others throughout history. Going back to even Noah, which he just mentioned before this passage. Have you suffered for Jesus? I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm out here suffering for Jesus and in the heat trying to serve. I mean, suffered internally because you stayed true to what God was telling you biblically. Your life needed to reflect, and it cost you something. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also, Christians with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body 
is done with sin. The done with sin doesn't mean that you're not tempted by sin, that you won't fall to sin, but it's you saying in your personal life where you're at as a Christian, I'm done with it. I'm done going that route. I'm done flirting with those kinds of things that were a part of my prior life. Are you done with sin? And then he goes and he starts to unpack it a little bit. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Those who are done with sin, who said, man, the urgency of the hour, what God speak to me, I'm head-faced this way, serving Jesus. I'm done with sin. Those kind of people, if you're one of those kind of people, then, then you're in this verse. You do not live the rest of your earthly life here for evil human desires. You are rather living your life for the will of God. And then he says this in verse 3. It's just, he's, he's on a roll, man. He's preaching in this letter that he's writing to these Christians. Where are you at? What's going on? I know it's tough. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. So I've titled it, Three Clocks Ticking. This is the first clock, and it's your clock. Your clock. You're on a clock. It's ticking. And Peter says they've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Those of us who uh, have had children in our home grow through the years, uh, anticipate the day in part, I guess. Uh, there's also some sadness to it and all that. Uh, when the last child will graduate from high school. And that's going to happen this week in our household. Our daughter Grace is graduating on Friday, and this was her last full week of school. And I had the opportunity last week to sort of interact with her some on an assignment, one of her last assignments that she had. And I got permission because Grace would not want me talking up here without it. So this is good. And her assignment was to pick an audience and have a little five-minute kind of speech and unpack something. And she crafted it in a beautiful way. She said, you know, to me, I've just looked back on school, and her audience she picked was incoming fresh freshmen, theologically, I mean, theologically, uh, um, experientially. And she said, uh, I want to share with them that school is really like a game. The first level is preschool. The second level is elementary. The third level is middle school. The fourth level is high school. And the fifth level is college or career or adulting. And as she unpacked it, I was helping her dialogue with it. I thought, you know, it's sort of true. It's like a school. It's like maybe levels in a video game, right? So, you know, and she says, you know, I'm a different person at the end of level four going into level five than I was when I came in at level four. They say the fourth level goes fast. The four, I didn't believe them, but it does go fast those four years. So anyway, she did a great job of that and, and the things that you learn through those four years and unpack it. But I was uh, thinking through that, but it's not just school that has levels to it. It's all of life that has levels to it, doesn't it? So you have your school years, right? And then your college years or prepping for career kind of thing or your job market thing. And then you got your marriage years and then your, your family years and then your 
hopefully then the empty nester years, right? And then you hit some of that midlife challenge and you're trying to walk through that. You got those years and then you hit your retirement years, right? And here's the reality. You can't go back. You have one chance. One chance to live for Jesus Christ in your high school. I remember in college looking back to high school and I said, man, I wish I would have taken some more initiative with some of my friends. You have one chance to live for Jesus Christ in high school. You have one chance in your 20s to be able to unpack a life that is exemplary for Christ and to pursue his promises. You have one chance in your early family years to raise those children and give them a spiritual foundation. One chance. You don't get that chance again. You have one chance in those middle years of your life, maybe where the, there's a tendency to drift or indulge here or there to you know, get your... You have one chance to write those middle-aged years of your life to be able to love God and serve His purposes. You have one chance in retirement to finish well. You don't get that chance again. And what Peter's saying here is life is sort of like levels that you have. And you have one chance, and he's saying, for you who have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, you're on the clock. It's ticking. And it's ticking with your opportunities that are passing. So what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? And then he drops into it. He sort of lowers the boom in it. He says this, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I'm not here today to get all hot and preachy, though maybe I'm unpacking this. I'm just realizing this because I only have one chance too, right? To be able to faithfully serve the purposes of God as I walk through 1 Peter and represent what Peter was trying to say. He's saying, look at you in the world around you. What's going on? What are you doing? You dilly-dallying around? You're still flirting with the things of the past. You know, that lifestyle, you need to be done with it. Nothing wrong with uh, having an appropriate measure of wine or alcohol, but that bottle, the pursuing of the idea of being able to get a buzz, to be able to live on the edge of that wildlife a little bit, just you're done with it. Those who have suffered in the body are done with sin. They're moving forward to proclaim. If you're going to proclaim and be uh, an individual who pulls people who are resistant from the faith into him, then you, you've got to take stock of that. What about lust and, and, and flirting with immorality kind of stuff? It, you'd be done with it. Be done with it. Carousing, other 
detestable kind of idolatry. And idolatry is not like, hey, here's some little statue. But it may be pursuing things like, oh, man, I can't wait till I get that promotion and show myself. Or that. You know, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Go for it. But if it becomes, and we walk through a whole series on this, if it becomes number one in your life, then it's an idol. It's an idol. Call it for what it is. We're not in an animistic culture that worships, oh, the trees or something. No, you are worshiping something other than God. There's this detestable idolatry. Just be done with it. Glorify God in your pursuit of a successful business. Glorify God in being able to, you know, move into dimensions of your um, career life that, uh, uh, you know, have value and worth to them and compensation, all that kind of thing. But do not let it become an idol. And do not waste time flirting, chasing skirts or chasing pants. I don't care. You're done with that, Peter says. And you're done with the drunkenness and the carousing. Some of you say, Pastor, I think you're now starting to meddle with my life today. I'm not meddling with your life. The scriptures are meddling with your life. And Peter's saying what we need in this sense of our culture and the urgency and what's around us, we need believers in Jesus Christ who are walking the walk and talking the talk, not in an arrogant, oh, look at me and be all boastful and proud, but in humility. Because people need to see the presence of Jesus. When Jesus suffered in the body, he was obedient to death, even death on the cross, because he pursued the will of God and not his own will. Clock number one that's ticking is your clock. Clock number two that's ticking, verse five, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Have much time to park here. But the clock is ticking for them. The them being those who are not God-seekers, Jesus' followers. And there is coming a time of judgment for them. When I see the horrendous acts, not only sometimes in our nation, but I think in terms of the world stage, I read something this last week that says Putin has three more years with his cancer and he's going to die, they think. I don't know. Not for me to worry about his life because there's one he will face someday. God will judge all things because he is a God of holiness. And holiness requires sin to be dealt with. And if it's not dealt with through redemption and believing in Jesus Christ and being a follower of him and his shed blood covering your sin, then it's got to be dealt with and there are consequences. You know, the culture that we live in has switched It has switched over the years from being a culture that frames life in reference to a judgment day coming to thinking that we are a culture of progress. So we're always thinking about the future, like the electronic devices going on around here didn't exist a number of years ago, right? You used to have to do a typewriter, some of you did. I did. I never learned a typewriter. And then, you know, now... 
technology is going to make the day. It's going to improve the future. What else is going to improve the future? Oh, maybe a better political system will improve the future. Maybe there's other kinds of institutions that can be established and work ever. It'll improve the future. The future is bright. Well, there is progress. God gifts all of us. He has gifted people. He admires the progress that human beings have made on this earth from when uh, they were in the Stone Ages. But the framework of our life is not one that's heading towards future bliss. It's heading toward another day of Noah. And God basically saying, I'm done with this evil. And there's going to come a judgment day. But we don't talk about it today. We don't even talk about it much in church. But the clock is ticking. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Once you choose to be a follower of Jesus, you're born again. And though you have a body, you come alive in the Spirit. And you live according to God in the Spirit. And so the heavy judgment kind of message is not one that needs to be pounded. But it is one that needs to be revealed on a regular basis to others, but also to ourselves. Three clocks ticking. The first clock that's ticking is your clock a sense of urgency, you don't get another chance to suffer in the body as it represents living for Christ and be done with sin. Their clock is ticking. So don't get overly anxious about somebody not getting their due. God's a perfect judge. He knows. And by God's grace, I'm not getting my due because he's forgiven my sins. And I live underneath his mercy and his grace. And I want others to as well. But the bottom line is, if you're not living under the mercy and grace of God, your clock's ticking. I mean, their clock's ticking. And you will see that in the end, what we're moving towards is a time of judgment. But it's a judgment into a new day. When God will wipe every tear from our eyes and all wrongs will be made right. And that should bring us hope not fear. It should also take away anxiety and allow us to be trusting of God because there is no one else who could be judged than God. He knows all things. He could have that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard uh, thing over in a flash. He knows. I don't need to sit in multiple weeks hearing from my, He knows. Boom. But he is the judge. Then it steps into verse 7. It says this. The end of all things is near. Peter said that back in the first century. God must be slow on the trigger. Remember with God though a thousand days is uh, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day kind of thing. He lives above time kind of thing. But that context that the end is near, was so redundant in, Pe in Peter's day. But what about our day? We would say the same thing. My gosh, is the end near? How's all this going to change? 
The third clock that is ticking is the clock that's ticking for us as a church. The body of Christ. And we are in a place where we need to understand that the end of all things is near. And so he exhorts just some simple things as we close out this third clock ticking. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind so that you may pray. Prayers first. Pray because the end is near. We as a church need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for the world. We need to pray for our missionaries. And, and we'll be focusing on missions next week. Because we as the church have a task, not only in this valley, but in all the world, for people to come to know Jesus Christ. And prayer is front and center. Be a sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, then church, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality, a type of love, if you will, to one another without grumbling. In other words, care for one another. The end is near. The clock's ticking, church. Let's be at our work that God's called us to be at. Christians in Asia Minor and Turkey, Peter tells them, be, be steadfast and true. The Christ living in you, living through you for the sake of, of representing the gospel even in your challenging days that, that we're heading into the Nero days of them being persecuted and even full out killed because of their faith. Love one another. Let's be at this work. Let's practice hospitality. So prayer, love. And then he goes on and says, At the end of all things is near. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So serve. Serve God's purposes and his grace. You know, it was great to have Chuck up here today and, and uh, Zach and Britt, you guys served faith, so faithfully this last year in student ministry and taking that on when there were all these other dimensions of ministry life and you still tried to carry those on here at the church. But it's sort of cool to see some of the student leaders that you know, came together to be able to serve in this last year. They served the purposes. Brenna, Matthew, Randall, Paige. I could go on with others. I'm like, that's what we do. We get in there and we serve the purposes of God because of the urgency of the hour. We champion the need to have people serve in the littles for the preschool or elementary or other things. There's, there's needs to serve. I, I don't know if I should say there's not because I haven't unpacked it anywhere. But last week, some of you know that we have an Arabic-speaking church in our congregation. Uh, they, they meet after us. And uh, Dr. Bosch. A uh, long-term internal medicine doctor in this valley, he comes to me. He sort of leads that Arabic-speaking church back at Venue B. And we're like, hey, get it over, turn it around, and serve you guys. You know, there's a Spanish church that meets in here on Sunday afternoons, Arabic church meeting there. <laughs> Dr. Bosch comes up to me last week, and he goes, Pastor, what, what happens at this church on Saturdays? I'm like, well, we, uh, we have a men's group on Saturday mornings sometimes, and then uh, we rent the facility out to be able to be part of the community outreach, and so sometimes we're serving in that kind of way. Well, I, um, I, I want us to do a free will clinic for people who are without insurance, who uh, are 
homeless, maybe, who are undocumented. I, I want us to do a free, free will clinic. He says, I do one in San Bernardino. I do no one somewhere else. And I get other doctors, other medical people involved. And we just do this sort of free will clinic. And I'm sitting there. What am I doing? I don't know. All I know is I'm overwhelmed. I'm glad that Pastor Zach's able to get back to some connections and operations and other kinds of stuff because, oh my gosh, and you want to do what? Open this church up, building up that, be a free will clinic for the community? Oh yeah, it's a great way of ministry and, and to reach out to people that are unfortunate and disadvantaged. It works. <laughs> so I listened to a little bit. I finally looked back at him. I don't really know where this is going, so that's probably why I shouldn't have brought it up, okay? Hey, it's out there. You're on the journey with me as pastor of this church. I just looked at him and I said, Dr. Bosch, I guess we probably need to practice what we preach, don't we? He says, well, certainly we do. It was just like, no brainer. <laughs> the end of all things is near, so each of us need to be using our gifts and our talents, and that's one way he uses his. What do you use in your service gifts for? The end's near. Well, I haven't got much praise or thank yous. or You know, that's, that's true, and we need to give more affirmations. All of us deserve that and need it. I'm sitting down here looking at my wife, Melissa, and looking at Chris Cochran. You guys are getting ready to serve. They're taking on the leadership of four weeks of summer day camps. Why in the world are we doing four weeks of summer day camps? Friends, this building was gifted to us to use as a community center outreach. And when I heard that like two weeks are sort of closed and we're, you know, maybe we'll probably finish up with our 30 kids for each week and we don't have more staffing to take on beyond that as part of the challenge and all that, but it's sort of our launch year to see. And Melissa, you were telling me last night some of the, the stories, the backstories behind the kids that have signed up. She, she showed me a little lunch pail. She says, I went and bought a lunch pail. Like, What's that for? Well, because one of the moms who's sending her kids said, because school's out, they don't get the lunches, and so I'm going to pack her a lunch for her kid every day so she can come to kids' camp. Anybody else want to take that on? You're great. Talk to my wife about it. But you're like, this is what the church does. We're done with sin. We're done with flirting around these things, taking our time, going down all these venues. We have the kingdom of God. The urgency's at hand, and we need to be at it. We need to be on it. We need to kick it some. And you're like, well, I'm heading into the summer, Carrie. You want me to serve in camp? You want me to serve in a free clinic? You want me to go to the Littles room? Yeah, I do. But don't see it as a burden. See it as an opportunity. And it's not just with the church. It's as you go about. Go and make disciples of all people. We'll be talking about it next week globally, but it's also locally. As you go, assuming as you're going around, make disciples of all people. You're going to be interfacing with some of your friends who are part of the second clock ticking this summer that you just need to, in a kind way, continue to live a life of radiance before them for Jesus Christ. Their clock's ticking. So as you go about your life this summer and all the things that you have, plans and fun things, that's cool. Live for the kingdom's purposes. Peter's telling these people in his day and now speaking to us in our day that the end of all things is near. And close out with verse 11. 
If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God then as you go about. If anyone serves, they should serve, should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen? Amen. So these are your three clocks ticking. I'm going to invite Angela to come up. I think we're going to... Team, we doing that closing song? If you have a new song, so I want us to sing it out. And then after that, for our benediction today, I'm going to go back and just have Brandon redo that video that some of you missed because you were late getting in here. But that's fine. It was a busy morning. Happens to all of us. And remembering what this Memorial Day weekend's about and those who laid down their lives. But may it also remind us of the one who laid down his life for us. So ushers, if you take your places, receive.